0: Well, good morning, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, something in between, right? Did you have a nice Christmas? We had a great Christmas, it was really quiet, just uh, two of our three kids and our son and his uh, wife and grandkids stayed back in Huntsville, Alabama, because it was the every other year thing, so it was really nice. Are you ready for Christmas to be over? Some yeses, some no's? No? Okay, well, then you'll be glad to know that I'm going to be talking about the birth of Jesus today. So one more hour of the Christmas story. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. Amen. All right. So, because it still is technically the Christmas season, I uh, just want you to know that day, today is day five of the 12 days of Christmas. And do you remember what he gave her on day five? Five gold rings. That's exactly right. In the 12 days of Christmas the song, he gives her 364 presents. Right, like that's a lot of wrapping, right? And some of them impossible to wrap. Like birds and people and trees. In fact, if you look at the math in the song, he gives her 40 golden rings, 82 birds, geese and swans, and he gives her 140 people. Now, I don't know about you, but if my husband gave me 140 people for Christmas, there'd be problems. (laughs) Well, let me tell you a little bit about... Uh, the history of Christmas and actually where the 12 days came from. In the late second century, the Eastern Orthodox Church started a festival called Epiphany. And it was celebrated, is celebrated every year on January 6th. Epiphany is a Greek word that means manifestation or revelation. And in this context, it means how Jesus made himself known or manifested himself as the Son of God, how he revealed himself to be the Son of God. And various things can be included in this, for example, the baptism of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and his God the Father said, this is my son. Or the miracle at Cana, all of the miracles, where Jesus performed miracles. And also included in this, is the visit of the Magi. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about Matthew's story of the birth of Jesus. Now, the Roman Catholics did not begin to celebrate the birth of Jesus until the late to the 4th century. There is a calendar that exists, a liturgical calendar, from 354 A.D. that lists Christmas on December 25th. And that's the first time the date, December 25th, was ever used for the birth of Jesus. Why that date is chosen was chosen, we really have no idea. But it has something to do with the festivals already in place that were already going on in Rome. Now, the Eastern Orthodox Church felt pressure to adopt that date. And they did agree to do that, but only if the Roman Catholics would also adopt the festival of Epiphany. And in 567 AD, the Council of Trent proclaimed the entire period between Christmas and Epiphany as a celebration, thus creating the 12 days of Christmas. Now you know the rest of the story, right? So I'm going to talk about Matthew's version of the nativity story, including the story of the Magi. So on Christmas Eve, Susie talked about Luke's version Only Luke and Matthew record the story of Jesus' conception and birth. I actually have a personal connection to this story because it is this story that brought me to Christ. In 1982, I was reading the Bible, and I read both Matthew's version and Luke's, and I thought, well, this story is amazing. And if it's true, if I believe it, then I had to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. So I have a, you know, really, I don't know, an affection for the nativity story. So we're going to talk about Matthew's version, but first, let me tell you something about Matthew. We are introduced to Matthew as an adult. We know nothing about his childhood or his family life. When we meet him, he is working as a tax collector. He had a stall on the road between Damascus and Echo, outside the city of Capernaum on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. This road was very well-traveled, and anybody who wanted to sell goods had to travel this road and also had to pay a tariff for using the road. And it was typically about 5%. And that is how the Romans collected taxes. They would hire a chief tax collector, and he would hire tax collectors and assign them various posts. And Matthew was one of the tax collectors. He collected from his designated spot, and then he would skim some off the top, give it to the chief tax collector, who would skim some off the top, and then they would give it to Rome. That was the system the Romans set in place. Now, specifically, Matthew was a moksha. He collected taxes related to travelers. There was another kind of tax collector called the gabbai, and they levied taxes on uh, agricultural, and also the census tax. As you can imagine, both tax collectors, both types of tax collectors, were despised by the Jewish people. But the moksha were considered to be actual traitors. They hated anyone who worked for the Roman Empire. Because less than a 100 years before, The Romans had come in and taken over Jerusalem in basically a virtual bloodbath, killing tens of thousands of people. So it wasn't as though the Jewish people had forgotten what General Pompey had done to them. And tax collectors worked for Rome. So they were ostracized by the Jewish society. They couldn't testify in a court of law. Nor could they donate money to the temple because the temple priests thought their money was unclean. They wouldn't take it. Now, Matthew also collected taxes from the local fishermen. It's really not, you know, too far of a stretch to think that Matthew knew Peter and Andrew, James and John, who all lived in Capernaum. And even though he made a lot of money and was smart well-read, he could read and write, he was very good at numbers, he probably lived in a pretty good-sized house. He was not well-liked. He probably didn't have very many friends in the Jewish world. So he was different from the people who lived around him. Of course, his entire life changed the day that Jesus came to his stall and called him. Matthew quit his job he left everything behind. He immediately responded to the call, and he spent the rest of his life being a dedicated follower of Jesus. He was one of the 12 apostles. Now, he wrote the Gospel of Matthew in and about 60 A.D., and the Gospel of Matthew really reflects his Jewishness. He speaks a lot about how Jesus fulfills the prophecies about the Messiah from the Old Testament, And we can see this even in the nativity story. So here are the passages that Matthew quotes in the nativity story. The first is Isaiah 7.14, related to the virgin conception, which says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. The second is from Micah, about the birth of Messiah in Bethlehem, which says, But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The next is the slaughtering of the innocents, which fulfills Jeremiah 31.15. <clears throat> a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And the return of the Holy Family after being called out of Egypt, fulfilling Hosea 11.1. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now Matthew's gospel has been very influential in the church. Second century church leaders often quoted it. The church fathers placed Matthew's gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, even though Mark's gospel was written before Matthew's. So it had a great deal, has a great deal of significance. Matthew begins his story about the birth of Jesus with the genealogy, going back to Abraham. And he focuses on the story from Joseph's perspective. Luke focuses on it from Mary's perspective. So let's take a look at Matthew's version in chapter 1. Tells us that Mary and Joseph are an engaged but not yet married couple. They are young. She is a virgin and she becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, Joseph is naturally concerned about that. He would assume that she had been unfaithful. And he really had two choices. He could have exposed her pregnancy to everybody, which would have brought shame on her and her family. Or he could marry her and then turn around and divorce her. And this is what he decides to do. But you see, we get a glimpse into Joseph's thinking. One, he's a man who's faithful to the law. Two, he actually cares about Mary, so he doesn't want to embarrass her or create a scandal. And so he makes the decision to do this thing, to marry her and then divorce her. Now, men in Israel could get divorced basically for any reason, and it happened fairly frequently, even in a small town like Nazareth. But you see, God had other plans, so he sends an angel to deliver a message to Joseph, and Joseph, because he is obedient, does what the angel says. They get married, and they abstain from consummating their marriage until after Jesus is born, Now I know you've heard this story many times. We all have. But I think you should just stop and consider the response that Joseph had and how difficult it would be for both Mary and Joseph to be in this situation, particularly in the cultural environment of that time. It couldn't have been easy for either of them. But both Mary and Joseph trusted that this is what God wanted for them, and also that God would help them through it. It doesn't mean that it was easy for them. In fact, every step of their journey was very difficult. They encountered lots of problems in making this happen. I think they serve as a reminder to us about true obedience to God, even when we're under difficult circumstances. So in chapter 2, Matthew tells the story of the Magi. Some time has passed since Jesus was born. It could be up to two years later. And the Holy Family is still living in Bethlehem. So let's go through the story of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, All right, so who are the Magi? I know you're curious about them. I was too, and here's what I found out. The Magi were most likely from a priestly caste from the lands to the east of Israel, including Arabia and Persia. As priests, they were responsible for overseeing the rituals and the cultic life in their communities. They also studied the stars looking for signs of a possible future event. Now, they interpreted the dreams of their rulers, who wanted to know what they saw in the stars and also what they thought of the king's dreams. And thus, because of the knowledge that they had, they were called wise men. Now, these magi studied the night star and sky, and they saw a new star rise. And they believed that this new star indicated that a great new ruler had been born. They believed it enough to head out over the open, tough terrain to come west to Israel. Now, tradition says that there were three of them. We've all heard the song, right? We three kings. But actually, the text doesn't say how many there were. And also, tradition says they were kings, but that's not very likely. So they arrive in Jerusalem, and they start to ask around, where is the king of the Jews? Now, as you can imagine, this caused quite a stir. And who was most disturbed? Herod. Now, the word for disturbed in Greek is not, you know, disturbed more like he was freaking out he was totally freaking out he would take the magi's appearance and also the talk that there was a new king as a complete threat to him so he brings together all of the priests and the scribes and the teachers of the law and he says to them go search the scripture and find out what it says about a king that's supposed to be born Tell me what it says. And what does this tell us about Herod? He didn't know the scriptures. He was the Jewish king, but he didn't know the scriptures. He had to rely on others to tell him. So his posse of Jewish advisors comes back to him and says, According to the prophet Micah, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So here's what happens next. Over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So Herod rounds up the Magi secretly and brings them to him. Of course, he wants to find out anything he can about why they're there and who is this new king. The Magi tell him the timing of the star's appearance. And it is with this information that Herod orders later the slaughtering of all male children two years old and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. The slaughter of the innocents. You see, Herod was only concerned about his dynasty and his power. He didn't care about the prophecy. He didn't care about the truth. He didn't care about the implications that a new king had been born. He only cared about himself. And the sad thing is, or actually the great thing is, he died a couple years later. So Herod says to the Magi, go and find the children, the child, and tell me what you know. And he lied and he said to them, it's because I too want to worship him. Now, I've always wondered why he didn't just send some of his guards with them in this story. Because, you know, Bethlehem is only five miles away from Jerusalem. So why didn't he just send some of his own guards to find out what was going on over there? But he didn't. So the Magi leave, and they leave Jerusalem, and they go to Bethlehem, and there they find Jesus and Mary. Upon entering the house, they finally see the child Jesus, who is the rightful king of Israel, who is the long-awaited Messiah. Matthew tells us that the Magi bowed down to worship him. They opened their treasure chest, and they offered Jesus three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Together, these three gifts form an offering that was fit for a king. (coughs) Next, Matthew tells us that the Magi were warned not to go back to Herod. So here we see, again, divine intervention. The Magi went back home a different way, avoiding Jerusalem and Herod. So what does it mean, the story of the Magi? Why would Matthew even put it in his gospel? Well, the answer is the Magi proves the identity of Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. They represent the entire Gentile world from outside Israel, the first to acknowledge and to worship Jesus. They are a symbol that the entire world recognized who Jesus is. And that's why they are celebrated. That story is part of the epiphany story because it's a revelation, a manifestation. Now the angel appears again in a dream telling the holy family to leave Bethlehem. And so they flee to Egypt and they live there until they are told by the angel that the threat from Herod has passed. All together, Mary and Joseph raise five sons, Jesus, Joseph, James, Jude, and Simon, all who are mentioned in Matthew's gospel, and two daughters, at least two, who are not named. This is a big family. He was in a big family. And I have to say that I really feel like Joseph is the unsung hero in this whole story, I mean, we only get a few little glimpses into his thinking, like when he decides to go ahead and marry Mary and when he takes his family out of Bethlehem to escape Herod. I mean, I wish that we could have heard more from Joseph. But you know what? He doesn't utter a single word in the text, not one word. And the fact is that Joseph Probably died. He did die sometime between Jesus, when Jesus went to the temple when he was 12, and before Jesus started his earthly ministry. But I have to say that I've always thought that Joseph demonstrated an obedience to God that was remarkable. He took Mary as his wife. They had Jesus. They had a bunch more kids. They raised a big family. He worked hard as a carpenter. He provided for his family. He created a good life for Jesus and his kids, a great childhood. He was a great role model. Now that you know Matthew's version of the story, I just want to wrap up with some thoughts about the Nativity story in general. First of all, when you take Matthew's version and Luke's version and you put them together, you get a very complete depiction Of the birth of Jesus. Quite clearly from his conception by the Holy Spirit to his birth, Jesus is unlike any other person who's ever lived. The incarnation of Jesus into a baby boy is the greatest miracle ever performed by God and it was done out of love and a desire to save us from our sins. Jesus is God's answer to the problems of this world. He brought the kingdom of God down from heaven to earth, and we are a part of that kingdom. And You know, the thought that Jesus existed in heaven with God the Father and the Holy Spirit before he came to earth and then after his time on earth is one of the greatest mysteries of our faith, the incarnation of Jesus from God to man is a mystery at a profound and deep level. And the truth is, sometimes we don't have all the answers when it comes to God. It's just part of having faith. But for me, most importantly, the Nativity story shows the depths of God's involvement in bringing the Savior to earth. Jesus was sent to earth by his heavenly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. When he was born, the heavens opened up and all the angels in heaven rejoiced his birth. God sent his chief messenger, the angel Gabriel, to tell Zechariah and Mary and Joseph what was happening and why. And when the holy family was in danger, From King Herod, God protected them by sending them to Egypt. And he brought them back to Nazareth when the time was right. All of this really goes to show you how intricately involved God was in all the events that took place during the Nativity story. And you know what? The truth is God is just as involved in our lives, all of the details of our lives. He knows everything about us including how many hairs we have on our head. We, too, are a part of this miracle story. I hope when you reflect on the Nativity story, you will consider the majesty of the entire event. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, our Savior. We're so grateful that So long ago, he came to earth as a baby boy, and we're so grateful for his family, Mary and Joseph, how they took care of him and provided for him. Lord, when we consider this nativity story, I just pray that we'll reflect on the miracle of it all, and also would reflect on how grateful we are for what you've done for us. We pray all this in your son's name, amen.